have some announcements, but I'm not going to go over them until um, till the end of our, our message today. Paula, you mind grabbing me the stool and, and the uh, music stand there? A couple of things. Uh, my, my heart is just incredibly heavy. Um, I have the opportunity to interact with a lot of people this week, and some of the themes that we see throughout our weeks is people are, are really hurting right now. Um, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go uh, over to Lincoln City and minister to some people who lost their homes in, in fires that seemed like an eternity ago, but that was just in September. And um, kind of the, the key theme I'm, I'm seeing as I interact with so many hurting people is that we really need each other. We, we need each other desperately, but we don't quite know how to do it. We don't really know how, how to depend on each other and interact with each other. Um, I was on my way somewhere yesterday morning, and I, um, if I'm in the car by myself, I'm either listening to a very boring podcast or I am just blaring music out. Uh, and how many of you like to blare music when you're driving in the car by yourself? Um, and if my son is in the car with me, we blare music together. And uh, the women don't like the blaring music in the car, uh, but my son tells me that I have, like, there's different kinds of music I play, uh, depending upon the weather, depending on, uh, we have a Jeep, and so depending whether the doors are on or not, it makes a big difference in the kind of music that's played. And so if the doors are off, it's like hard, heavy rock. Right, Zion? But, it, but if the doors are on, we're, we can go into some indie rock or some, some folk music, or you know, if we're feeling really spiritual, maybe some worship music. It, it depends on my outfit. Okay, that's good to know. You're not allowed to talk. He's normally in kids' church on Sunday morning. So, yeah, it depends on what I'm wearing. It depends on whether the doors are on or not. But, like, yesterday I was just blaring some hard rock music, and, and I told my son on our way um, to get dinner at 9 p.m. because that's when we eat. Um, like, you know, I'm going to listen to this song loud because this is just what I'm feeling right now. And I don't know if he liked the song or not, but um, sometimes I, I was like, why do we listen to stuff that is, like, really sad? Or why do we listen to stuff that's really angry? Or why do we listen to stuff that's real happy? Happy music I don't usually like. It's usually kind of cheesy. But every once in a while you want happy music. But I recognize as, I, as we were worshiping today that the kind of music that we listen to, um, I think the reason it speaks to us so much is because it's like the band is saying, I get you. I understand you. I understand what you're going through. You are heard. You are experienced. You are felt. And when you hear music that matches with your emotion, it's just like, here I am. They get me. I get them. We're in this together. And so um, I rode in uh, the car to Lincoln City yesterday with a guy considerably younger than I am. And, and he literally turned on Whitney Houston. I'm like, is this on accident? Why, why are you listening to Whitney Houston? I like Whitney Houston. I'm like, no, you just, you can't. We can't listen to this on the way to the coast. And so it's like, this is my mix of 60s through 80s music. And I'm like, hey, if, you, if this makes you feel felt. So whether for you, if it's, if it's Whitney Houston or if it is Hillsong United or Post Malone, whatever it is, well, sometimes you just feel like a band gets you. And that really has a lot to do about human relationship. We need to feel felt, experienced, heard, and validated, whether what we think is right or wrong or not. Last night when I got home, I, I laid on my bed for a minute. Like, that's, that's my routine is I, I go home and I, just, I lay face down on my bed with my clothes on 
my wife came in to talk to me about our days, and I said, would you just put your hand on my back and just, like, tell me about your day today? I want to hear everything about it. Not because, like, I'm concerned about what she did, but I, I just wanted to know her. And there was something special that happens when you not only talk to someone about their day, but if you actually make human contact while you do it. And I said, can I, can I tell you my day, and can you keep touching me while I do it? And so what we were doing, uh, scientifically, we were doing something called co-regulating with each other's emotions that were deep inside of our hearts. And it takes place in our heart, in our mind, in our body, through touch. It takes place through the things that we hear. It takes place through the expressions we give people. And the point of saying all this is just to say we need relationship really bad. We need relationship. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that doesn't seem like it has to do with relationship, but it, it has uh, intricately uh, to do with relationship, and that's uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That's where we read about this idea. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. The love, the love chapter in the Bible. And we blaze through that passage about love because it sounds really good and it's really cool to uh, quote in a wedding, but, but to read the chapter in its entirety and see what it's talking about is an entirely different story. And so we'll get to that in a minute, um, but I'm going to preface it uh, far before we get there. I uh, talk about, for just a minute, mirrors. When I grew up, um, I was afraid to walk by mirrors in the dark because someone told me about the Bloody Mary story. Any of you guys ever terrified of that as a kid? Um, don't look it up because you'll be scared to walk in front of mirrors in dark. I know, I, I understand Jesus and, and power over darkness. I'm not afraid of those things anymore. But have you ever been into um, like a, and it's typically only fast food restaurants or truck stops. And I know some of you ladies will not go to a bathroom in a fast food restaurant or a truck stop, and you'll do whatever you can to not. But I'm, I'm comfortable with that going to a fast food restaurant or a truck stop, if I need to use the restroom, how many of you have gone to wash your hands in a truck stop or a fast food restaurant, and you look up when you're washing your hands just to look, take a look at yourself real quick, and you're not there because there's no mirror. You ever see that before? Like no mirror uh, in the bathrooms at truck stops sometimes or fast food restaurants. Any, have any of you noticed that before? Like no mirrors there before. Like that's, it's weird. Like you're expecting to see yourself, and instead it's, it's dirty tile. Like where, where did I go? But then there's something very, very bizarre that I don't understand. Every once in a while, you'll go to a truck stop where it's not um, the fact that they don't have a mirror. It's that they have a mirror, but it's made out of metal. You've seen that before? And that's especially at, like, um, rest area, bathrooms, and there are mirrors. You're like, you can't really see yourself, but there's, like, a blurry image of you. It's like, what's even the point? Like, why is it even there? And the reason I talk about that is because this is what mirrors were like um, during the time that Scripture was written. It was polished metal, not, not um, smooth, clean, pure, reflective glass. And so when someone would look into their reflection, uh, they would see kind of a blurred image of themselves uh, looking into polished metal. And that made me start thinking about um, Disney movies. In cartoons where, where someone is looking into the water and they see themselves. And I think it happens in The Lion King, doesn't it? And, like, and like then the water ripples, like, oh, he's older now. He has a mane. And, and there's, like, looking into the reflection of the water. And the Bible talks about this idea of, of reflection and how we see 
ourselves. And that actually has uh, a lot to do with relationships. And so we're in this series called Human. And in this series, Human, we are just looking at what unites us together because we live in a very uh, divided world. And we need to see what we can unite over. And one thing we can all unite over is our humanity, what it means to be human. And we're a church. uh, We're a Christian church. We're a Bible church. We're uh, a Jesus church. And so we're teaching from a biblical worldview what it means to be a human being. And the reason I made the preface about Bible and Jesus and and Christian is because the world right now is is really saying that to be human is, is, is all sorts of things. What does God's word say to be human actually means? And so last week, we looked at five things uh, that it means to be human. And if you didn't get the opportunity to listen to that, you can go uh, to YouTube or Facebook or podcast or website, listen to or watch that. But to be human is um, to be made in the image of God. That is to reflect God, to image God, to show God off to the creation around us. To be human is to be loved by God. To be human is to be wanted by God, and to be cared for by God. That's number two. Uh, Loved, cared for, wanted. To be human is to be eternal. Um, All of us are actually immortal. We will live forever. And Jesus says when the dead are resurrected, they will be resurrected either to judgment or to life. To be human, number four, is to be male or female. Men and women are equal in value and worth before God. Both men and women reflect God and image God. But it takes a creation and in a community and relationships of men and women throughout society to fully reflect the image and character of God because that's how God created us because men have attributes that reflect God that women don't fully have and women have attributes that reflect God that men don't fully have. And so together, not in marriage or sexual or romantic relationships per se, but just in community, community should have both men and women so we can fully reflect the image of God. And then finally, to be human is to be not just good, but very good. And that was the, the hardest thing to teach on last week. We were going to actually devote an entire week to that, but we just did it in about five minutes last week. But to be human is to be good. God declared us to be good. In fact, he declared when he created both man and woman together, declared us to be very good. And so you might say, like we talked about last week, but wait, I'm a sinner. I'm not good. The Bible says there's no good within me. And I would say, yeah, I understand that theologically, but yet God still made us to be capable of and to be able to do and to create good. And regardless of how far away you are from God or how close you are to God, we're all capable of good. But it is through the redemption in Jesus that we can fully experience the good that God has intended for us. And so those last week, to be human is to be made in the image of God, loved, cared for, wanted, eternal, male or female, and to be very good. And so this week, we're just looking at one one topic here. And it's this. It's to be human is to be in relationship. To be human is to be in relationship. You actually can't be human without relationship. Not fully human, at least. We can't really be the the humans, the humanity, the men or the women we've been created to be outside of relationship. And whenever we hear the word relationship, again, we automatically think of romance, love, uh, sexual, intimate, marriage-type relationships. It's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about relationship as a whole, To be human is to be in relationship. 
It's how God created us to be, created us to actually be in relationship. You need relationship in order to actually be human. So I'm going to go ahead and pray. That's my introduction I wasn't planning on today. I'm going to pray and then look over a couple passages of Scripture, give you some application for this, and, and let's see what the Lord will do. So God, we thank you for your word uh, that we're about to look into. Uh, we thank you for its truth. Uh, and Lord, I thank you for relationship first and foremost that we can have through you. And I pray, God, that as we connect with you in relationship, that we would find a relationship with one another, um, godly Christian fellowship, and also relationship with, with those who don't know you, so that through the love and relationship we can share with them, we can introduce them to you, um, the one who relationship comes from. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, God declares to to really himself, God makes this declaration when Adam recognizes that there is no fellow human to be in relationship with, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so there's this statement of, of not being good to be alone. So to not be in relationship, that's not good. But good is to be in relationship. And so when God creates both male and female, he, as I already said, he said his creation was very good. And again, sometimes within Christianity, we get obsessed with uh, romantic relationships, and we'll try to, again, make this, okay, it's very good to be in marriage. It's very good to have a romantic relationship with someone of the opposite sex. And I can say, yes, that can be very good. But, but the statement of creation being very good, it is not simply a statement about there being men and women. It is not simply a statement of, of romance or relationship or marriage in a romantic way. It is a statement of human relationship as a whole, which is very good. To be human is to be in relationship. Um, and so what we find out is sometimes people purposefully avoid relationship. Uh, all of us have different kinds of, of fantasies. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about sexual fantasies. But one, sometimes if I fantasize about things I'd like to do, a lot of times my fantasies involve me being completely by myself somewhere outdoors, like by myself. Sometimes my wife will say, well, don't you want to invite so-and-so or, or someone with you to go do this thing? And I'm like, no. I don't. I, I want to be by myself. And, and so we have these fantasies about being alone. How many of you, uh, you wish you could get some time alone? I know, you know, especially moms and, and dads that are very much taking care of their kids all the time, just, just desire to be alone. And so like a bathroom break or a five-minute bath before it gets interrupted by a poopy diaper. It's like that's your dream, to be alone for just a minute. And so it's this, this fantasy sometimes I have is to be alone. But then on the other side, if I think like what's my perfect day, sometimes it's being with a big group of people enjoying one another's company. And so th there's this beauty in being alone, but it's not how we're supposed to be. Jesus withdrew by himself to spend time with the Father. So to be alone temporarily, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. But we need to be in relationship. And, and sometimes we read about these, like, sages or, or philosophers or monks or what sometimes we use this word, hermits, who who kind of go off into the wilderness and live by themselves, and they, 
They write some great work of literature. But that's not really a righteous thing to do. To be alone is, is not good. God said it's not good to be alone. And so if you're avoiding relationship, that's sin. It's sin to avoid relationship because sin is to fall short of the glory of God. And God created us for relationship. And if we say we choose to not be in relationship, then we're choosing to go against what God actually created us for. But how many of you have been hurt by relationship? You've been hurt by people. You've been burned, backstabbed. You've experienced betrayal. And so you close your heart off and you harden your heart to relationship because you've learned how to protect yourself. And in that protection, protecting yourself was good for a season and it's why you're strong and why you survived. But here's something that actual neuroscience is teaching us is that you can't heal from the hurt of a relationship without a relationship. Isn't that ironic? You can't heal from people hurting you without people, which means that you actually have to choose to make a sacrifice and offer your heart to someone in relationship with the full reality that they could crush it. That's what love is. It's sacrifice. It's risk. It's trust. And sometimes I'll talk with people about romantic relationships, and they're like, I'm just not ready to trust again. I'm not ready to date again. I'm not ready to pursue a romantic relationship. I'm like, that, that's fine. You don't need to. But if you desire any kind of relationship, it's going to require taking a big jump, a big leap, a big risk. And so in premarital counseling, we'll talk to couples and say, like, hey, you're about to take your hearts out of your chest and hand them to one another, and that person could destroy you. But it's worth it. It's worth it to experience love, to know someone and to be known by someone. And so to not be in relationship, to purposely avoid it, that's, that, that's sin. And what we're learning today with science backing up Scripture, not the other way around, is that our brains and our hearts have actually been hardwired for relationship. We have been programmed to be in relationship. And you might say, well, where did that start, Pastor? That started with your mother was your first, first relationship. Some of you might say, well, I didn't, didn't know my mother. Well, you were carried in her womb. The relationship started the day you were conceived. You had your first relationship, and it was with your mother. Studies show that, that, that women who knowingly are going to give up their, their children, and, and if you're in a position where you feel like that's the best option for your child, then that's wonderful, and I, I hope that your child can be surrounded by someone who can love and support them just like God and you desire. But, but there's something that happens in the womb inside of a mother, in the heart of a child that's being formed and knit together, that if they're rejected in the womb by their mother, they experience rejection when they're born. And so the first relationship that we have is with our mother, and strangely, that goes endless generations before her. We are products of relationship. And our relationships, then you say, well, is it nature or nurture? It's both. Our relationships are then fine-tuned by the family that you were born into. Your relationships were fine-tuned by the systems of your family that you were born into. How many of you have a perfect family? And so that... It sets our relationships off just, just a little off kilter because none of us are perfect. And then strangely, our heart and our mind being hardwired, programmed for relationship, every relationship you've had, whether it was healthy or toxic from the moment you were born, 
builds us and wires us for how we're going to respond to other people in relationship. And so this idea of the fact that God made us, wired us, hardwired us for relationship, it means we need to know other people and we need to be known by other people. That's why I just wanted my wife to put her hand on my back and say, tell me about your day because I want to experience you. You actually can't know yourself without relationship. And that's one of the, the, the biggest fallacies of the 20th century was self-help, self-worth, self-love, self-respect. You can fix yourself. It's all about you. That's very humanistic, but that's not biblical. Biblical is you need God, but you also need people created in the image of God to be able to experience yourself. And if you really want to know yourself, you've got to know someone else. How many of you found out you really didn't have problems in life until you got married? <laughs> it's like, well, what does marriage do? It exposes you. Your spouse isn't the problem you are. It shows you who you are. How many of you realize how horrible of a person you were once you had children? Like, yeah, it's like, wow, it shows how selfish and, and evil we are. So relationship with other people, it's like looking at a mirror. And when we experience someone and they experience us, then we can truly experience ourselves and we can see either how great we are or how very failed we are. You can't process emotions by yourself. You can't process trauma by yourself. You can't heal from hurts by yourself. You can't love or be loved by yourself. You, can't, you actually can't love yourself. It's not possible without loving others and being loved by why the Bible says we love God because God first loved us. That's why we can love him is because we've experienced love through him because God is love. So we desperately need one another. And so this is where we get to that passage, 1 Corinthians 13. He talks about love. He says, hey, if you do all these wonderful spiritual gifts, if you're speaking in tongues and prophesying and doing miracles, but if there's not love involved in the spiritual gifts, it sounds like a big resounding gong or a clanging symbol. It means nothing if there isn't love. And he goes to describe what love is. Patient, kind, gentle, never ending. He describes love and every description of love. It's not love is self-reflective. Love is self-care. Love is self-worth. Love is taking care of yourself. It's love is interacting with others in sacrificial ways. So he describes love, and then he starts to talk about the kind of relationships and love we can experience one day fully in Christ when Christ returns. And so Paul talks about present reality, and then he talks about future hope. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, after all this talk about love, he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You might say, well, pastor, this is a verse about being face-to-face with Jesus in eternity. And I would say, kind of, kind of is. And you might say, well, this is a verse about how I will recognize my loved ones in heaven. And I would say, maybe. But in context, this is a verse about love and about relationship. And Paul says, the way we experience love right now 
And to some level, the way we experience even Christ right now, it's like looking at a mirror that is the, the polished metal in the truck stop bathroom. It's not clear. It's not being seen as we're really supposed to be seen. It's like, it's like turning on um, a song and wanting it to match your emotion and just kind of missing the mark. You ever try to start some playlist before on either Spotify or Apple Music, whatever you listen to, and you're like, I want to listen to, and you insert your band name there, and it's like, now playing Taylor Swift. I'm like, I did not sign up for that. Taylor Swift is nothing like Linkin Park. And so I don't get it. And so it's like, I don't feel really known. And, and so what Paul's saying is, we can have love, we can have relationship, but real relationship is clarity. And he says, one day we're going to be able to see face to face. That's Jesus, but it's also a hint of relationship and love with one another. And it goes back to Genesis. We'll look at here in a minute. He says, I will know fully even as I have been fully known. Basically, what Paul's saying is, what does perf- perfection look like? What is perfect love? Perfect love, which cast out all fear. Perfect love is to be fully known. And perfect love is to know someone. And it's tempting when you lay on the bed and share the events of your day with your spouse to say, well, you shouldn't have went there. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. Let me give my advice on how your day could be better. I, I'm horrible at that sometimes. My wife's really bad at all that. And not really. Um, but I don't, we don't need that. We just want to be heard. We just want to be known. We just want to be felt and experienced. And so sometimes we try so much to try and fix people's problems and give them solutions when in reality the ultimate fixing and the ultimate solution is to just be loved, experienced, and known. So Paul says we will know each other face to face. So we have an idea right now of what relationships do look like, but in our intended eternal state, we'll be clearly, fully aware once we're known and fully known by God and we know Him. So we are to be face-to-face in relationship. And then the human heart might tell you now, but the problem is, Pastor, relationships are really hard. Relationships are very messy. Relationships take a lot of work, and they take a lot of sacrifice. And I would say, yeah, you're, you're really right. They do. Some of your relationship statuses on social media should say it's complicated. Because sometimes we find relationships being very incredibly complicated. But they're worth it. And again, not talking about romance, just relationship. Relationships are worth it. Because it's in relationships that we will and do experience our humanity. And so we'll look at a couple passages in Genesis to get a a little greater understanding of this. We'll wrap up with a quick look at two verses in 1 John. And then I'll give you some application. We'll pray. We'll sing. And we'll see what God does in you this week in regard to relationships. Let's look at Genesis um, chapter 1. And we'll look at 27 and 28. As God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. We talked about that. It takes relationship to be fully human. It takes both men and women in community to be fully human. 
It says, God blessed the man and the woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Now, this here is talking about this unique, one-of-a-kind relationship that God creates for men and women to live together in commitment, intimate, romantic, sexual, love-type relationships through marriage. And he says, through this relationship, this coming together of man and woman, fill the earth and subdue it. And again, our fallacy is to look at this passage and say, I'm single and it's always about romance. But you've got to understand it was through romance that all other relationships came to be. You don't have relationships with siblings if it wasn't for a relationship between mothers and fathers. You don't have relationships with friends or coworkers or cousins or schoolmates or neighbors without and without coming out of this type of relationship. And so this multiplication that takes place between husbands and wives and has been taking place for thousands of years, it creates communities of relationships all around us, and maybe someday we'll fall into that kind of relationship too. And so in Genesis 2, verse 21, we're going to read about when God creates woman. We alluded to it last week. We'll just touch on it today. Mankind cares so much, I mean, God cares so much about mankind that he forms Adam from the dust of the earth, breathes the breath of life into him, and then intimately forms the woman out of the man. And we read about that in verse 21 of chapter 2. It says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So a little side note, uh, rabbit trail, is that notice that God did not take a piece of Adam's front. Because the intended relationship between men and women wasn't for men to be drugged along by women who go in front of them. Notice that God did not take a piece of Adam's backside to create woman because the intended created relationship between men and women wasn't for men to drag women along and to keep in front of them and to drag them behind. But instead, God takes a piece of Adam's side. It's translated here in English to rib. A better definition is just simply side takes a piece of Adam's side because God wanted to create a suitable helper for Adam. Suitable means perfect, complementary. Helper is not a derogatory term. It is doing life in relationship together. And so certainly in sexual, romantic marriage relationships between men and women, they are to be alongside relationships, side by side. Yes, men and women in marriage have different roles, but they are always equal in value and worth, and they always walk together hand in hand. Do they always do that? No. But that's how it should be, side by side. In your relationships with other people that are not romantic, intimate, sexual, or marriage relationships, your friendships are also to be side by side. We do not have relationship and hierarchy over one another. It might be that way within government or the workplace, but in friendships and relationships, we're all side by side. We are taken from side as women and men have a piece of our side taken to create community. So we are alongside, side by side in relationship. Verse 23. Then the man said, 
Now, this is written in Hebrew. This is written uh, likely Moses records this about 1,500 years before Jesus. And in the language this is written in, in Hebrew, the next verse is typically seen by Hebrew scholars not as just a statement but as a song. And so I don't understand how High School Musical works out. I don't understand why in The Greatest Showman, Hugh Jackman just decides now's a perfect time to start singing in this normal everyday situation. And you might do that in the shower, but typically at work, you don't just break into song on top of the desk and start twirling around in your chair and then singing about the printer that's not working. But this is what Adam just breaks out into song over this creation of woman, and he sings this song, and I'll, I'll sing it for you if you could get ready. I'll read it to you. It says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This Hebrew song, Hebrew poetry. And if we're looking at this just as, oh, this is black and white document, what Adam is saying is, she has bones like me. She has skin like me. She like me. Like, it's not what he's doing. He's not saying, like, we both have elbows. In a relational sense, what Adam is saying, it's this moment of elation because, remember, he had spent who knows how much time naming these animals that God brings to him in Eden, and no suitable partner for Adam is found. And so when Eve comes to him, it's almost like he's saying, it's me. It's, it's, it's human. It's like me. It's me. Because it's only through relationship that we can actually be known in the way God intends us to be. And it's only by knowing others that we can actually experience ourselves in the way that God experiences us to be. And so he just says, it is me. I can know myself by knowing someone else. I can know myself by being known by them. I was talking to someone about marriage um, earlier this week, and I was like, hey, when you get married, you're like, okay, let's work out all of our problems before we get married, and then we'll get married. I'm like, oh, it doesn't work that way. It's going to take the marriage to expose some of those problems. And then when those problems are exposed in marriage because you choose to love and sacrifice for each other, then you work on them together side by side. And so here Adam's saying, I can be known and know myself. I have someone to be present with me. I have someone who I can co-regulate with. I have someone who can resonate with me. I have someone who can empathize with me. I have someone who can experience me. I have someone I can love. She's just like me. And she's for me and I'm for her. It's almost like Eve walked up and played Adam's song. You ever seen Happy Feet before? I think there's a part where like, when the penguins find each other, they, they know each other's song, and they do a little happy feet dance. So it's like Adam and Eve here together as he sings this song. It's like she's playing our song, and I don't even know her. She experiences me, and I experience with her. Adam's saying, I'm not alone. I'm not alone anymore. How many of you like the movie um, Wally? Like, what is it? Wally is the movie. It's a Pixar film with a yellow robot. And um, Wally is basically alone, right? And so Wally is just alone doing his own job and his chore on this dilapidated earth. And it's not until he meets Eva until 
uh, he realizes, I'm not alone. So Wally is basically, when he says, Eve, ah, he's almost like, it's me, someone like me. And we see this played out all throughout literature and film. You've got E.T., he's alone, and he wants to go home. I think there's several dinosaur movies where they're the last dinosaur, and they just want to meet someone like them. It's not good to be alone, guys. We're desperately longing for relationships, and that doesn't always mean romance. So Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. He'll hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is here specifically about marriage. You're not intended to become one flesh with anyone else but your spouse. This is the uniqueness. Just as mankind is unique amongst animals, this sexual marriage, commitment, covenant relationship between one man and one woman before God in marriage for life is the only relationship by which that one fleshness takes place. There's something that happens through sexual intimacy that bonds you with someone else in mysterious ways. It's to be expressed and experienced between two people. So there's differences. There's differences between those kind of relationships and others. And so you might connect with people uh, on all different levels and all different spectrums of the communities you walk through, but only a marriage relationship is supposed to be like that. You've got to guard and protect that above the other relationships. Verse 25 says, The man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. If you had to ask, what's the opposite of relationship? You might say, well, alone is the opposite of relationship. And I would say, yeah, that's true. But another way to look at it is the opposite of relationship is shame. Shame is hiding. And so here, Adam and Eve were naked with no shame. This is what um, Hebrew scholars, uh, whether Christian or, or not, they call this passage perfect shalom, per- perfect peace. This is what things were supposed to be like, naked with no shame. This is before they fall into sin. The ultimate expression of humanity is displayed right here. Face-to-face relationship. Naked without shame. No lying, no hiding, no covering no dodging, no ghosting, no embarrassment, no darkness, no condemnation, no shame. And what do Adam and Eve do the moment they sin? What do they do? They cover themselves. Why do they even do that? They, they cover themselves because of shame. Because they, they've seen one another through relationship, and through that relationship and the sin that existed within that relationship Now they see their sin, and they're ashamed. And so the only thing they know how to do is just to cover up. The the, the nakedness was not the issue. It was the shame that was the issue. They cover up. They hide from God himself. The relationship we're supposed to have is a face-to-face relationship. It's supposed to be vulnerable. It's supposed to be honest. It's supposed to be clear. It's supposed to be eye-to-eye. It's supposed to be out in the open and in the light, seeing clearly, being known, being fully known, open-hearted, the song that Kim let us sing. I open up my heart to you. Jesus, when he was talking about divorce, he refers back to Moses' law, and he says, the only reason Moses permitted you to be divorced is because of the hardness of your hearts. You closed off your hearts to one another. And as a result, your marriages didn't work, and so you divorced. But 
relationship, not just marriage relationship. All relationships are to be open-hearted, but relationship dies the moment that we close our hearts and harden them. So face-to-face. How many of you have a hard time looking at people in the eye? I do. I've actually found that masks make it more hard for me. I can't speak for you, but for me, I have a harder time looking at people in the eye with a mask on because it's all I can see. It's like all we can do is look into each other's souls. I can't just stare at your nose or that that zit on your chin. Um, Masks are good for hiding those. But why do we have a hard time, like, looking into each other's eyes? You ever wonder, like, why most people close their eyes when they kiss and it actually looks funny if someone keeps their eyes open while they kiss? It's because we know that something's just not right, so we hide, but real relationship is naked, no shame, eye to eye, lights on. So to be human is to be in relationship. You can't be human outside of relationship. It's not good to be alone. It's not what you were created for. Alone is a bad place to be. Alone is a bad place to be. You might say, well, my sin makes relationship very difficult. And I would say, me too. But remember, even people who are sinners still image God. Even people who are sinners, and that's all of us, by the way, can still do good. But that good can only fully be redeemed through Christ. So too are our relationships. You might experience good relationship without Christ, but your relationships won't be really redeemed unless he redeems them. Because he makes us a new creation. He changes our hearts and opens our hearts. Jesus empowers us to have godly relationships. And so your relationships right now, they might be through a mere dimly, but he wants you to see clearly face-to-face in relationship, not just in heaven someday, but, but now. And here's that verse I said I'd read as, as uh, Casey comes up to lead us in another song of worship. In Christ, we can walk out our humanity in relationship. In Christ, we can be empowered to be in relationships as they were intended to be. In Christ, we can play the other person's song. In Christ, they can play their song for us. In Christ, we don't have to look into a very blurry metal mirror. We can actually see clearly with open hearts. So 1 John 1, 7 through 9. John says, decades after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he says, if we walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You notice that? If we walk in the light like Jesus, we have fellowship, and and every spiritual thing within us wants to say, with Jesus. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with Jesus, because this is just about me and Jesus. And that's not what John says. He says, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from He then says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You ever met a phony person before? 
they love to quote scripture and, and use a lot of spiritual words, but you know that they're real messed up inside and they're just hiding and dodging by using big words. There's someone I worked with before in ministry, and for all intents and purposes, I should have been good friends with the guy. We had a lot in common, a lot, passionate about all the same things, but I could never connect with the guy. And one day I just sat him down and said, what's going on? Why can't we connect? What, what are you hiding? What do you mean? I'm, you're hiding something. What's going on? And so the guy opened his heart, and he started to share some, some real bad struggles he had. Some things that, that he was very ashamed of. And as he started to tell me the things he was ashamed of, I didn't look at him and say, man, you're a really horrible person. That's what he thought I would do. He faked relationship when in reality he was trying to stay alone because if he could stay alone, he could keep hiding and not have to walk in the light as Jesus was in the light. And he was actually missing out on fellowship with others because he was hiding his garbage. And so when he showed me his garbage, I had compassion. And my heart softened and opened up, and so did his. And I was able to share some of mine. And the purpose of our relationship as co-workers, co-laborers in Christ, and maybe someday as friends, the purpose wasn't for us to fix each other's problems. I didn't give him solutions like, oh, man, you've just shared how horrible of a person you are. Let me give you 10 easy steps to be a better person like me. That's what some of you think that you should do, but that's not what relationship is. Instead, I held it with him. Hey, let's acknowledge this together. Yeah, life's hard. It's difficult. But the fact that you shared this with me, I just want you to know I'm playing your song. I want you to know that you're not blurry to me anymore. Now I can see you. I didn't want to know the fake you. I wanted to know you the you that God knows and loves and died. And am I best pals with this guy today? No, I'm not. But we had an understanding. We had a relationship. And there was mutual love and respect for one another because I gave him permission to be him. I gave him permission to show his hurt, his struggle. Some pretty bad things he did. And I didn't reject him for it. I didn't make him stay alone. Instead, I I received him and loved him and cared for him and listened to him. And for that moment in time, it was like we were face-to-face, eye-to-eye, naked, no shame, no hiding, no dodging, just, just being real. Sometimes we say, like, hey, I'm just, I'm just being real or I'm just being authentic. And I've noticed a lot of us, we use the excuse of being real to be really mean to people. Hey, man, I'm just keeping it real, so I'm going to tell you this real jerky thing. That's not the kind of authenticity we need. We actually need vulnerability. Instead, it's like, um, I'm sorry you're struggling. I do too. Yeah, you know, this isn't good. We, We can help each other. We can work out solutions together. But I'm here for you. I'm not here to keep it real with you. I'm here to be here with you. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today, and if you might just want to start getting into an attitude of prayer, if you're here today and you'd say, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've been forgiven of my sins through the life, 
death and resurrection of Christ. I'm saved. I'm a believer. I'm a part of the church. That, hey, that's great. Um, Jesus didn't come and live and die and rise again just to forgive you of your sins. He came to cleanse you from unrighteousness, and there is a difference. In Christ, we are forgiven of sins, but living in Christ, walking by the power of the Spirit, we can find a cleansing of unrighteousness in this life. To the point of perfection, no. But from glory to glory, being changed and transformed into the image of God's Son. We call that sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. And you can't be sanctified or become more like Christ by yourself. You need others. So the verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Oh, my sins are forgiven. Okay, let's work on the cleansing part. Cleansing comes through repentance. Cleansing comes through confession. And you might ask, well, Pastor Anthony, do I need to schedule a time with you to tell you about my sins and confess? Please don't. Please, please don't. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. I can do nothing with them. Christ does that. But you do need to do that with each other. Not to be forgiven. Not to be holy or righteous or, or perfect, but, but we need to share our struggles with others because it's through sharing our struggles that we find our struggles actually cleansed. Shared pain breaks the power of pain. Shared shame breaks the power of shame. Shared hurt breaks the power of hurt. How? Why? I don't know, but it's scientifically proven that that's how it works. It's called co-regulation. And God designed us for it. So to be in relationship is to be in confession. To be in relationships, not to be in shame. It's to be vulnerable, to walk in the light. And I'm always suspicious of the people like, I have no sins to be forgiven. Well, the number one there is pride, and you really struggle bad with pride. Like, let's just be in the light together. We don't need to pretend to be religious. We can actually say our stuff's not together. We need help. We're out in the light. And when you start shining lights on the darkness in your life and in your heart, that darkness has to flee. Darkness doesn't like the light. And those cockroaches, they start to scatter. But if you never shine the light on those things, oh, man, you're, you're going to carry them like baggage. Your sins are forgiven. I think you're, you're going to heaven in Christ, and I think that you're going to live in the new heaven and the new earth. But God wants you to be cleansed as you are now. So start walking in the light. Start confessing toward one another. Quit trying to fix each other's problems and solve everything for everybody and just be there for someone. Play their song. Listen to theirs. Relationships are hard. And you really can't avoid them. To avoid relationship would be to avoid our very humanity. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
God, I thank you for this word. God, I pray that um, anything that would stick out to someone about this message today would not be even a sentence of what I said, but would be something only you could speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray you would speak to each of our hearts today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would unlock the gifts of prophecy and wisdom and knowledge so that the words that you speak to our heart may even come from somebody else today as a sign and a symbol of that relationship that you want us to have. God, if there's anybody here today who's covering themselves up with leaves like Adam and Eve in the garden, I pray they drop the act, drop the show, drop the shame, drop the condemnation, because you tell us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so, Jesus, we don't stand on our own merit or righteousness. We stand by your righteousness. Thank you, God, for sending your son that we could have relationship with you and could be saved for relationships with others. But no one looking around, um, man, God's doing something in some of your hearts today, and I just would invite you to let him, let him do it. Open up. Let him do it. Whatever pain or hurt you're feeling right now, you might need to go through that, but you've got to go through it with someone to come out on the other side. Start loving again. Start risking again. Start handing your heart to people again. Start allowing God to open up your heart and just to soften that stone inside that tells you that you can't love anymore and you can't forgive. I've walked through a lot of relational heartache in my life and with others. And and one thing that's tempting for people to do is like, I'm going to leave this relationship and go find one that's better. I'm not saying there aren't times where that should be a thing. There's abuse or just awful things involved. However, without resolving our stuff together, we're going to keep going to the same relationship again and again and again, no matter who it's with. And I'd encourage you, if you're thinking about just like ditching a relationship today, consider, ask the Lord if this is for you, consider actually working out the issue with that person instead of starting it again with somebody new. Because it's not going to be any good. That's how we work. If anybody here doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that's the most important relationship of all. I'd encourage you, trust him today. Put faith in Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. He rose again. He's forgiven your sins through his life, death, and resurrection, restored you to relationship with God, given you everlasting life with him. If you would simply just say yes to him, I trust you, and this gift, God, it's for me. So God, confirm every word that was spoken today into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.